0: Good morning, my brothers and sisters. Welcome to episode 13 in the book of Revelation. We're going to hear today a commendation and a condemnation to a church in western Turkey called Pergamum. Listen in, this is from Revelation chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 12. And the angel of the church in Pergamum, I'm sorry, and to the angel of the church in Pergamum, right? That is to the church in Pergamum. The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. So it's referring to Jesus. Verse 13. Here's the words to them. I know you where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you do not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. So that's the commendation, then 14, here's the condemnation. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans, therefore repent. If not, dot dot dot. We'll get to that tomorrow about what the consequences might be. So today we have a church here that disciplines its own is a good is a good church, and the failure here in Pergamum is is a is a condemnation. Now not every idea is a good idea, and leaders should be holding fast to good teaching, not to the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel in two things, eating food sacrificed to idol, and then of course, sexual immorality. Now, just one comment about eating food sacrificed to idol. The rest of the New Testament says that eating food sacrificed to idols can be no big deal because there is no such thing as as true idols, and there is no such thing as sacrifice to such idols. So you're at liberty to eat food sacrificed to idols if your heart is right about it. But if it results in false worship of your heart, or results in false witness to others, then then don't do it. But here, it, they're, they're really trying to practice it, and so it is uh, forbidden. All right, and how about the sexual immorality? Well, the road to bad theology either starts with bad sexual moral, morals, and bad sexual morals then lead to bad theology, similarly bad theology leads to bad sexual morality and then also also in this bad group is the teaching of the nicolaitans which nobody's exactly sure what that is so who should be repenting in this congregation is it just the people that are that are apostatizing yes of course them but it's everybody else too. The whole church should be repenting. Why is that? Well, they're allowing the bad teaching, and they're allowing these people in the church, and they are accountable. They are accountable for what they allow in their church. So there's this good commendation here. There's this this person Antipas who. Uh, the ESV commentary said, sealed his testimony with his life. That is, he was persecuted all the way uh, uh, until death. But then they launch into this bad theology thing, and bad theology always seems to start... and, and either Bad theology always seems to end up with a zipper. Why is it that bad theology often, or maybe even always, allows sexual immorality? It, Well, I think our hearts are eager towards it. And perhaps to avoid the shame and guilt of sexual morality, one builds a morality or a theology or a worldview that explains it and maybe even demands it. It's a tendency of man to bend one theology towards one zipper. All right, so the problem with the church, though, is that you're, uh, you're tolerating it. So this is, yes, a call for intolerance. Not everything is okay in the world. Not every worldview is of equal value. But the sin was, they're holding fast Jesus' names, but allowing for the holding fast of the false gods and tolerating theological pluralism when Christian unity demands the unity of people under a unified theology. Christian unity is the result of a disunited, knuckleheaded group of people who gather under a singular banner of what Jesus did for us, and that results in unity. So what unifies Christians is what Christ did for us. To somehow tolerate other is not really truth, and it makes God a liar. It's not true. So it makes what Jesus did optional, which is to say discardable and discountable. So bad theology doesn't bring people together in the church. It separates them, and tolerance leads to judgment for all. So here, the failure of the church to discipline its own results in the threat of Jesus directly disciplining. We'll hear about that tomorrow. So tolerating false teaching and false fellowship of those that follows false teaching results in the corporate sin of tolerance. Those who follow false teaching must repent of the false teaching, and those who tolerated those who follow false teaching among them must repent. So, in conclusions, do you have a church that uh, maybe disciplines its leaders? If so, that's a great thing. Have you ever seen it enacted to help the congregation and help individuals? Has your church ever corporately grieved over their behavior collectively? If so, that's a great thing. Do not underestimate the power of sexual immorality to lead to bad theology or the other way of saying that, or the power of bad theology to lead to sexual immorality. So to act with sexual immorality is to act treacherously against the Lord, because the morality of sexuality comes from the Lord. So let's use the wisdom from the Church of Pergamon not to be tolerant of people that are engaging in sexual immorality and bad theology in that relationship. And and honoring a person like Antipas who holds fast to his name even unto death and seals his testimony with his life. Thanks for listening.